I'm Tom Kerridge here on the BBC Good Food Podcast. This week I'm speaking to Grant Headley, wine presenter, enthusiast and educator. I like that little bit at the end there, an educator. I am educated, I promise. <laughs> Grant has worked in the wine trade for 25 years and started to work for Lathwaite's in 2012. Grant, listen, welcome. Thanks very much for coming along. And oh, this pleasure. is your first podcast, so please don't worry. It's just words Brilliant. about wine and yeah, food. Yeah, I mean, yeah. everything I'm, that we love. I'm well-versed, yeah. so we're okay. okay. Well, listen, how did you get into the wine trade in the first place? Start. Let's start at the beginning. All right, so at the beginning. So it started with a, a wine called uh, Wyndham 555. And basically, I was driving a van for a wine company where most of the UK wine trade started their wine journey. And um, there was this wine, Bin 555, Wyndham Estate. And I was rowing at the time, and 555 was a really, 5 minutes 55, you know, it was a really good time for doing 2,000 metres. We never got there. We were too busy partying. We never got to 5 minutes right. 55. <laughs> so that's, that's what sort of drew me to this wine. And it was, a, it was an Aussie Shiraz, and uh, I think the designation was Kunawara at the time, but now it's southeastern Australia, so more sort of generic sort of region of origin. But yeah, I tried it and I just got it. You know, it was one of those big sort of voluptuous Aussie Shirazes that were just really sort of obvious and uh, perhaps being relatively young, the slightly sweeter sort of aspects or riper aspects really sort of grabbed my attention. And that's where it started. Right. That was the bit. That was the thing, the bug that got you, the thing that yeah, actually that, there's something quite interesting about this. Yeah, there's something, that, yeah. something new and exciting. Because... You drank wine before. You'd had beer before. You'd had absolutely, you know, but all of a sudden there was something there that was a new level. Absolutely. Um, and anyway, that piqued my interest. But then I think there was another moment. So um, my daughter's twenty three now, and uh, when she was young, we'd go to the playground like you do, and we met a lovely couple there, Bill and Julia. Um, invited them around for dinner, um, and Bill and Julia had a wine cellar, and he uh, bought a bottle of wine around and. Um, that was the moment it stopped me in my tracks. And it was a uh, Leglise Cliné, 1983. It was a Pomerol. And I was just like, what is this? Um, so then I sort of picked up with the WSET because I say until then. Well, explain you know, what WSET is. Yeah, so Wine and Spirit Education Trust. The, the most fun you can have in education <laughs> for me. So um, my diploma in 2009, educators course more recently. And, you know, just the joy of teaching and learning about So what something. were you doing before? Let me get, I did, like, you, you you were driving a van, and then what was your job when you met this lovely couple, <laughs> Bill and Julia? So I was, I was still working in the wine trade, but it was, wasn't really sort of like, you know, I was doing sort of part-time and bits and pieces. So my partner and I were sort of hippies, really. I mean, essentially, you know, we both worked part-time. Um, I mean, she had been full-time before our daughter was born, but I was working sort of part-time in the wine trade, so always one of us was at home, and that was really important, you know cooking yeah you know for and stuff preparing good food proud i'm really proud of the fact that she didn't have a certain fast food until she was 18 years old right okay and only then because it was the only option available to her you know she was in an airport coming back from a duke of edinburgh trip in nepal and there was only this this place to get food yeah so so cooking for her and you know cooking healthy food and stuff was a really important part of our life and cooking and getting together and eating so an understanding of flavors and, and provenance and history and heritage of food and things like that, that that obviously is so specific to wines you know the terroir the ground where oh, it comes yeah. from uh, the Absolutely. the regions the type of grapes so much of that is connected to flavors isn't it and and i suppose from that point if she's always been interested interested in that and you've always been interested in that so 
that was the point then that you went from going, okay, I, I'm in the wine trade, but wow, something magical has just hit me, something amazing. So where did it go from there? How did you then suddenly to take this into the new realms of understanding, teaching, learning, and make it a career from it? Well, I think it's all, it's, you know, it's, um, it's a social vessel, you know, I mean, much like food is, you know, of course, sustenance, but, you know, the social aspects are just sharing, as I learned from the WSET and started working slightly more seriously and more often, and then just, just sharing that, just interactions with customers, that was just so rich for me. And, and a really profound thing, you know, you're both ingesting the same substance, you know, and to, and to relate to someone else's palate, I think, is a real privilege. It is the beautiful thing about food and drink and, and wines and, and ingredients in particular. That they're so connectable. And the beautiful thing about it as an industry is that it's always led by people with passion. You know, nobody goes really into the wine trade or, or, or grow, growing vineyards and making wine or into the food industry or necessarily, it's not about making money. Yeah. You follow it because there's something sparks an interest and it becomes a way of life. It's, it's an area that you want to be with. So we're very lucky that whether it's wine, whether it's food, whether it's beer, whether it's distil distillation, whether it's, you know, farmers' connections yes. between people and producers and suppliers is such a, a such an important and specific thing that when they all combine and they connect and you know you may end up all of those pieces coming together in a restaurant mm -hmm. that end result for a guest though that those tangible kind of connections all of a sudden make a big difference to when you're having a plate of food and it may be something just as simple as a bowl of pasta yeah. but from the wheat that the pasta has been made from from the sauce that it's put together with with the glass of wine that it's served with Absolutely. delivered by a waiter member of waiting staff that cares that's connected yes. to the food with and it's sommelier exactly there's and so much um, about yeah. all those tiny little touch points make such an exciting world yeah, to be in it's brilliant a part, part, big part of my job is talking to producers so the people that make the wine so there's a chap called Adam Mason chatting with him this afternoon we've got a new wine coming in which we're launching you know so I'm chatting with him. We're doing an interview for the launch, and um, they're just wonderful people. Yeah, I, f I find myself almost in tears at the end of conversations with them. You know, because they're so lovely. They care so deeply about what they do, and you know, you can taste that. You can taste that in the wine, and it's uh, yeah, it's wonderful. Um, and it doesn't matter who it is I'm talking to, relating to, really. So one of my fondest memories is the first sort of big tasting event I did. So it was for a fancy bank at uh, Marlebone. So I went there. I was a bit nervous. And a guy came up to me uh, at the end of the tasting, and he said to me, you know, Grant, I don't know much about wine, but I can taste the sunshine in the glass. And that has stayed with me for, what was it, 17 or 18 years. That has stayed with me. And it's just wonderful. And my, I think my job is to encourage people to, to say what they feel, you know, and not to feel restricted or nervous about, uh, uh, you know, about wine, about expressing, you know, how, what it is for them. And what so it much of it them. is so important. You know, people are so reserved on their opinions and they don't, want, they don't want to feel that they get it wrong. And there is that yeah. worry about wine and wine snobbery and food and food snobbery that yeah. you're getting something wrong. But because you haven't got, I don't know, this eloquent vocabulary with loads of words that yeah. describes it, you don't need that. Yeah, like you can taste the sunshine. It's just yeah. perfect, isn't it? You completely Beautiful. understand it. So when it comes to food, then your interest in this whole kind of genre and connection of food and drink. What what where, what what was your background? What was your childhood like growing up? How was your how did what sort of foods were you eating as a youngster? 
So, um, I mean, sausage, egg, and chips was my favourite for ages. You know, so my, I'm I'm from the north. Still Northeast, is, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah, you know, working class background. Born in Ashington, Northumberland, but left when I was three. Um, so we moved south. My dad was looking for work. So some of my earliest food memories are, are basically Grandma Doris, and um, she would have you know great big hugs. One hand on the stove, one hand in the biscuit tin, and just cooking. So, some of her th- her rock buns were just to die for, uh, and I, I swear I can still taste them to this day. You know, they're, they're so distinctive. You know how how the palate can just take you somewhere. Yeah, yeah. And you know, just the warmest, warmest. They evoke memories, memories doesn't it? A palate of flavors and smells. They really do bring back memories, particularly of childhood. Things that you can connect to that are warming and comforting and soulful, aren't they? They're really, really important. So is that the person that then encouraged you and your lo- your love of food and drink? I would say it was a I was a slow I was a, it was a slow burning thing, you know. So I, I liked eating. Um, you know, we we moved to the Middle East, and um, what with my dad uh, was working out there, uh, and so I was probably six or seven, and we'd come from the UK. Fast food was a big thing. And fair to say, I ballooned in two years before going back to coming back to the UK to go to school. And they whipped me into shape because you're playing sports sort of five days a week, you know. So there, my dad he used to take us out to restaurants a lot, and this was his thing. He he until until he passed away, he loved taking us out to restaurants. Um, so that so that was a big thing. And you know, the, the local food there, the seafood was great. Hamour, I remember one one fish. They fish in the Middle East uh, was just wonderful. And I had such a big appetite. Um, you know, I'd come back from school and we'd walk into these restaurants we'd go to fairly often, and the waiters would like nudge nudge them saying, "Here, watch this guy. Watch how much he eats." I mean, I had a monstrous appetite. Uh, it's fair to say, as, as like a twelve or thirteen year old boy. But yeah, so food memories. My mum was a great cook. I don't think she cooked very much because. Um, it wasn't a happy household for a while, my mum and my dad. And, and I can't actually recount too many memories of us sitting around the table as a family at home. Yeah. That, that changed a little bit when she met my stepdad. So I'd have been about 13 uh, at that time. And he was, um, he was from Iraq. So it was a middle, middle, bit of a Middle Eastern flavor to the cooking that we had. And my mum was a good cook, uh, some curries, Sunday lunches. I particularly remember her Christmas dinners. And my stepdad and I sitting there trying to outdo each other with how much food we could eat, you know. So do you think that early understanding of, I, I suppose, changing culturally and culturally different, living in a different part of the world, do you think that's um, had an effect on your understanding of where foods come from and the different types of food, the environments that pr- things are produced and the way that they're grown and I, I suppose even the way that they're eaten and the different times of day or the different outlook on sitting down and having meals where wine and food becomes involved in everything. Do you think, you know, you look back at that and is, is that actually quite a lucky thing to have been a part of? I, th- I think yes, but that that came later for me because I think that the the environment there in the Middle East is so it was so sort of like almost like manufactured. You know, it was massive expatriate communities. You know, from all over the world c- came there. There was not there was not really much culture of you know uh, indigenous culture that you saw whilst you were there. So it was everything was sort of imported. It felt like, but traveling in my later years, in particular, uh, I'd say the last sort of five or ten years. That's when you experience it. So having come from like this background where my dad would afford us everything, go to nice restaurants, nice hotels, suddenly I find myself in places and I'm traveling with a backpack 
and I'm and I'm looking where the locals are going, and I'm going for real sort of culture and, and characters and experience. So it's really, and it's probably since my my partner Jill and I got together. So we we got together about uh, about 10, 10 kilos ago. Um, we love food. She's Southern Italian, uh, and she's a real adventurous, adventurous soul. And of course, she she can just cook. It's just innate. It's just that she can just look in the fridge. I'll see nothing. Be like, I need to go. I need to go down the market. I need to go to the supermarket. And she'll just knock up something. Yeah. And be like, wow. Yeah. That's, Create that's tea from nothing. Yeah. Amazing. I love that. Um, but yeah, it's it's there. It's traveling. So places like sort of Sri Lanka, Cambodia, um, are, are real highlights. Kenya was was great and unexpected sort of food food highlight. But just eating with the locals and. Uh, and 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 stuff like that. So when you go on these traveling trips and you go and see things and you and then you go and visit vineyards and wines and foods and producers and and you try to get underneath the surface of the food scene, which is what we do as chefs when we go and travel and visit spaces. You're always looking for where the locals eat. You know, you know, you get in a cab and you get in the taxi driver and you go, where do you go? Not not don't not where you're going to drop me off. Where do you go for something to eat? And but when it comes to ingredients and then wine and then the way that that's moved forward in your world. How do you see it? it? It got to this point, I suppose, 80s and 90s and the, even the early 2000s. Where wine had this huge kind of snobbery around mm. it and understanding. And do you think that's softening now? Do you think there's becoming a much level kind of understanding of where everyone's going with it? Absolutely. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's probably been the explosion in popularity during that time, which I'd attribute first and foremost to those big Aussie reds, you know. And then, of course, you know, New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc has taken over really in the last sort of 15 years. But it's now, on, you know, in everyone's house, on everyone's table, whereas a generation ago, you know, maybe people were going to the pub yeah. uh, more more often, you know. But pub wine lists, you know, they've become much more eclectic and, and yeah. new world wines and new ways, orange wines, you know, organic and fermented and, and like all yeah. of those sort of difference in flavors one adventure do you do you think that removes snobbery because there is there is a bit of a hang-up about wine and the value of it and the cost and all Mm -hmm. of these you know all of those viewpoints you know when you hear about you mentioned you know working and going to do a thing for some bankers and all of a sudden you hear stories of the 90s of bankers spending twenty five thousand pounds on a bottle of something over lunch and you just think you know it, it adds to that sense of um uncomfortableness around those sort of restaurants and that sort of association. But all of that seems to be fading away a little yeah, bit. Yeah, it it's the accessibility. And I think the way that people are connected far more, I mean, social media has been a big thing, you know, connected to their favourite producers. You know, they could, they can see their posts, they can they can catch up on what they've been doing at Harvest, sort of, you know, uh, around harvest time and so on and so forth. I think it's more about sort of seeing the people. And, you know, I, yeah, I, I find elitism and snobbery just abhorrent, you know. I just, oh, really makes my skin crawl. And I think a lot of sommeliers and wine people have basically sort of shot themselves in the foot, you know, years and years ago. But thankfully now. And I think it, it, it's, about, it's about the people. It's about the people that are involved and the people that are making it. Essentially farmers, uh, you know, growing, growing their grapes, making their wine. You know, good people connected to the earth, connected to the soil, uh, and yeah, just good, good souls. So yeah, I, I don't know. I think it's probably that this popularity. Um, certainly, you know, you realise, okay, crikey, we can't be 
snobby. We're going to alienate the wine market, basically, or most of the wine market. If yeah, we're about you want to it. bring it in. You want to make it, accessibility is key to it because, yeah. you know, from from a you know, we I've seen the rise in the British pub and the even the British food scene and the way mm. that that moves forward. And then you have, um, you know, you start serving glasses of wine with it. If people are moving, you know, and matching wines with foods. Now, yeah. that for me. At, works but then at the same point i'm of the viewpoint that if you want to drink a glass of red that you like mm-hmm. with a piece of sea bass absolutely it's cool you know it's no worries we, you know you remove yourself from that kind of like if you want a glass of white new zealand wine absolutely. and but you want it with your roast yeah. beef yeah it's that's also cool now i do get the point where people match and and it can really enhance a dish or the dish can enhance absolutely. the wine yeah but you know trying to remove those boundaries of the, the you know hard and fast rules now do yes. you have any hard and fast rules with wine and food no well yes and no i mean no uh, and i would say to every <laughs> you said yes, uh, yes and no. And no. <laughs> uh, yeah, yes, no, definitely. Um, so first and foremost, I'd say to people, whatever you want is the most important thing. You know, like you said, the sea bass with the big reds, whatever. Yeah. You know, it's no good saying try try an oak chardonnay with this dish. It'd be amazing. But I don't like oak chardonnay. So you know, whatever whatever you like uh, is great. Um, for me, you know, I've I've had a lot of wine. I've had a lot of good food, you know. So I, I love that aspect. And, you know, you you, you sort of uh, were, were um, referring to it there where, you know, the status of both is elevated yeah. you know, when, 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 the match, when the match is right. So, you know, yes and no. For me personally, yeah, it's a really, really important thing. And all of my favorite wines, I can tell you what I was eating because there was food Great. there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and it's just, yeah, the, the food, I didn't like Pinot Noir for ages. People saying, Grant, try this, you know, this costs 60 quid a bottle retail. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, right, oh, no, you know, I really <laughs> don't like this. Yeah. But then some, something changed in the context. So I had, the, it was a, a really, it's a high welfare chicken, a really, you know how they're sort of, some of them are a little bit more sort of gamey and Yeah, rich, yeah, yeah, know? yeah. And you also have to chew them. They don't just dissolve. Yes. It. Yeah, 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 yeah. Much more to them. Yeah. So it was that and, and a Pinot Noir, and I must have looked like a pig, you know. So I had a, you know, hand hand in the in the chicken and 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 one hand on my wine, and I'm going, mm, 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 you know, one after the other, and I, and I finally sort of got it, uh, this connection with Pinot Noir, and it needed food, and that context of food is important. And I always say to people, if you're struggling with something, right, it's too sweet, it's too acidic, it's too oaky, too dry, whatever, have some food. Yeah. Grab some food, bit of charcuterie, bit of cheese, just something simple, you know, and the wine will change, possibly immeasurably. It's, pro- it's, it's almost like, you know, drinking a different thing. Yeah. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I mean, there are, there are wines that are not much good, but, um, you know, most of the wines we sell, you know, it's like, these are good wines. Yeah. So just, just the context maybe might need... Completely changing, taking out of it. You know, adding adding another layer of complexity of flavors that come into your mouth oh, yeah. and, and yeah. mixing it up. Yeah. Yeah. So talking about food, I mean, you mentioned earlier that your partner is a magical cook. She mm. can pull things together. What what's your what is your favorite dish? Uh, well, I had to think long and hard about this, and I must just mention um, Gilda's mum, Lucia. So w- one one night we arrived in Puglia at about one a.m. And she had, mussels are a big thing there, kotze. Uh, and she'd prepared mussels five ways at 1 a.m., you know, for us because she knew I liked them. Uh, so I'll get the phone call or text message like five weeks before we land. What do I want to eat? You know, uh, it's just lovely. Um, but yeah, the, 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 the dish that I've chosen today is, is Gilda's. And um, 
uh, yeah, you know, m- made with love and just the balance and complexity of flavors just works and, and the wine I had with it. So it's a, it's a seafood lasagna uh, with prawn and crab and um, artichokes and spinach and, you know, the, the combinations of flavors going on there, sort of powerful, sweet flavors, uh, mineral flavors, uh, earthy, herbaceous flavors. It's just so much going on. And um, had it with this white Rioja. So this again, it's, it's, it's quite interesting because it's quite it's a very complex sounding dish. So it's seafood. Uh-huh. You've got prawn and crab through it. Mm-hmm. You've got the spinach. The artichokes. The artichokes are a big thing. I absolutely adore artichokes, yeah. but they are they're, they're herbaceous. They're mm. they're floral. They're they're earthy. They're all of those sort of things tied into one. They work very well with seafood, and all of it is quite. It is a complex kind of flavor combination you yes. build together. But then you've yes. gone. This is a Spanish. This is a mm. Spanish wine mm-hmm. with an Italian dish. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it's, um, yeah, it's just something about the richness of the dish and the richness of the wine. And yet both have got, uh, the wine has got richness and elegance. And I love it when a wine almost like its character seems to contradict itself. You know, for me, that's a really good sign when your palate maybe is slightly confused, like, oh, this is really powerful, but wow, it's so elegant and it's so well balanced. You know, there are so many subtleties to the So how often do you get to have this dish? How often does Gilda cook it for you? We probably we probably cook it. Let's say maybe three or four times a year. Right, uh, okay. There's, there's so variation. It's a special occasion. It. It's a, it's a special thing. There's variation. I would say we do more often. We do it like sort of as a, a macaroni with the little sort of um, terracotta pots. Yeah. Like single serving terracotta pots and cook it in the oven. Um, so we, you know we do we do that as a variation. But um, I mean there are so many things that we cook and. One one of the benefits of lockdown and maybe just before was just really getting into Yote Motolenghi's cooking. Yes. My yeah. days. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. my days. But incredibly complex, wonderful flavors, but yeah. fragrant, alive, bright, yes. Yes. rainbow complexities that go yes. through it and, and really magical. How do you match wines with that? How do you pull those sort of things together from, I suppose, that North African, Middle Eastern mm. kind of flavors that come together? Yeah, well, it's, it's got to be good, firstly. It's right, got to be okay. good wine. So, you know, when you spend a bit more, you can expect more. You know, you can expect a level of complexity and balance that you might expect from Ottolenghi's cooking, yeah. you know. But also, you know, it's quite delicate, you know. So you're looking at lighter reds or maybe richer whites and that's my favorite place to go i think if 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 i only had one wine with food it would be a big rich white you know i think it's so versatile in terms of what it's what it can go with you know i just think of a of a cheese board there are so many different cheeses like yeah. an, an oaky chardonnay could go with you know or maybe an english sparkling wine that would be another one i should mention that i love yeah. it um <laughs> But yeah, so I think um, as long as it's not a massive, powerful red, and it's and you've spent a bit of money, so the wine's going to have some 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 delicacy and some subtlety, and it's going to have a nice level of complexity, and then it's just fun, you know. It's like it's 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 like part of cooking, you know, choosing choosing the wine. Now, obviously, some days I might che- I might taste many different wines, you know. So um, I've got a fairly good sort of like library of what I might like to go with different dishes, you know, um, but. Spanish is great. Obviously, Moorish influence uh, in Spain in the cuisine. Uh, it's it's the the wines seem to accompany them quite well. You know, yeah. quite an old school Rioja, uh, maybe a Rioja Rosé, uh, but something that's sort of aged uh, and quite old and sort of slightly orangey uh, in colour. Uh, but there are a lot of really nice sort of Riojas, for instance, with quite a pale colour. They're not real big, sort of heavily extracted wines. They're quite sort of delicate and quite elegant. And you know, it's almost more a little bit about the oak and the spice. Yeah, and that that goes really well with sort of Middle Eastern influence sort of food. It's a very summer 
summary as well. They sound very summery, but also very rich that can work like early into early yeah. autumn sort of flavors as well. And yeah. the, the sort of flavors that hopefully we've got coming through now. Now, listen, Sunday lunch. Right. Sunday lunch. Yeah. Do you typically eat a Sunday lunch? Do you cook it? How often do you do it? Is yeah. it sat together with friends and family or is it down the pub? I, I would say probably probably every, every six or seven weeks there is a Sunday lunch. It's... um. My, my partner often works on a Sunday. She designs kitchens, incidentally. Uh, but um, so it's not, um, yeah, it's not, it's not, it's not a massive thing. But when we do it, I really like the ritual uh, and and getting everything prepared and the different dishes of, of doing it. I, I quite like that, and I like things that you know I don't have to throw together too quickly. I feel a little bit under pressure, you know, if I'm having to cook something quickly. I like sort of things that cook slowly. Take your time. You marinade, you take yeah. the time, blah, blah, blah. But I, I would say a big thing is um, going out for Sunday lunch with mates. That's that's a great thing. Um, and, yeah, there's this, there's this pub we went to in Kingston fairly recently. I think it's called the, Alban, the Albany, this pub in Kingston. They do a great Sunday lunch. And I walked in there, and they've got about 25 beers on tap and a pretty decent wine list. So as soon as I walked in the door, it's just, I'm going to like this place. Because yeah. I, love, I love beer, I love ale. You know, I really love the sort of, um, you know, the sort of um, microbrewery, uh, modern style. There's a level ales. of complexity that's coming into brewing and beers as well, mm. very similar to wines now. In particular, yeah. you know, we've gone beyond that point of having, you know, fizzy brown cold beer like it's now there's so much more about levels of flavor the brewer and also brewers they have the same kind of geeky enthusiasm they the same do. as vi- the people yeah, that yeah. you know vineyards and chefs and you know uh, enthusiasts yeah. and educators like yourself that people they're very very well connected so yes. I, I, i'm pleased that you're a beer fan as well yeah and it's something that's something that's so so incredibly british about the pub that you it yeah. doesn't transcend anywhere else that those connecting spaces but it is all focused around food yeah. And drink and connection of people yeah. and it, they're magical spaces to be in they are they're, I mean okay right I've got some quick fire questions okay. for you and I'm going to need your um, I mean your first answers the first thing that comes into your head oh, and crikey. I think the first so I'm going to say the, your most well-thumbed cookery book and I think you've probably already mentioned him yeah Jerusalem uh, Yotem Otolenghi uh, and Sammy Tamiri uh, it's, it's just wonderful Okay, you, you mentioned you like going out to pubs and heading yes. out there, but what's your favourite pub? My favourite pub is the Duke of Edinburgh. So we moved to Brixton four years ago. We went there on the first night, and actually we were there last night and just met just some really, really lovely people. Um, they do some Caribbean food uh, there as well um, in, in the back garden in, in the summer. Uh, it's just brilliant. Uh, I love the Caribbean flavour. Lovely. And does that work well with wines, Caribbean cooking, those kind of jerk seasonings and spicings? That... Uh, yeah, I think you go for a nice sort of boldly flavoured white, uh, maybe with a bit of residual sweetness or, or a nice big red, as long as it's not sort of tannic. I right. think okay. I think you're safe. Perfect. Something that's always in your fridge? Um, uh, Tabasco sauce uh, and Kampot pepper. Travel, Cambodia. Yeah. Oh, my days, Kampot pepper. That opened up a huge, whole new world of pepper for me. Yeah. yeah. And it's elevated the game of every other pepper I come across. There's c- certain things I wasn't aware of, aromas and flavors. It's unbelievable, isn't it? They're ah. so complex, the peppers, and the way that they work, and so many different spices. And, and, and it takes you away from what you think is pepper. Yeah. Like, it just suddenly yeah. takes... It's a whole new level, oh, wow. a whole new level of spicing. Wow. Um Confessions, what's your biggest cooking disaster? Uh, biggest cooking disaster. Uh, so with, with the outlaws in Italy, um, they're a funny bunch. I've never met a family that laughed more around the table. <laughs> so I decided um, I'm, I'm going to use, uh, we had 
we got stuck in Italy. Uh, what was it? Christmas 2021 with COVID. So I'm going to use COVID as an excuse. Uh, I decided I'd do a stir fry with noodles and hey, I'm not used to their stove, their, whatever it is. Anyway, basically just was just stodgy noodles. And um, it, <laughs> So it, you're I in Italy, known for its pasta. You've yeah, gone for noodles and, and, and you've and made a mess of it. absolutely fluffed it. Yeah, big time. <laughs> but, you know, they, they, they're still ribbing me about it. So uh, it was all beautiful. Yeah, you know, good. They, 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 they're, they're getting off on it. They're still laughing. What about something that you've never tried? Oh, crikey. Well, okay. So Kobe beef. I never tried Kobe beef. You've never no. had it. Never no. had Wagyu no. Kobe beef. No, no. Why? How come that? Because it's, it's one of the most popular things, the rise in that, the understanding yeah, of the flavors. Yeah, yeah. Uh, probably simple economics. Right, uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. How, how much do you pay for... Uh... Uh, it's a lot. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's yeah, a be, lot. It's a it. lot. Yeah. And what's a guilty pleasure? Well, uh, <laughs> well, a couple of things. Chocolate. I just love chocolate. Amadei, chocolate. Oh, wow. Uh, but my guilty pleasure is probably having a little bit too much. Of everything. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think that's a guilty pleasure that everyone has, isn't it? I mean, yeah. yeah if, if something tastes great, you're going to go back for some more, aren't you? Yeah. Well, listen, Grant, thanks so much for chatting oh, to me today. So and I can't wait to hear your prawn and crab lasagna recipe. Um, thanks, everyone, for listening. And don't forget, you can listen to the bonus cook-along recipe. For more details, see bbcgoodfood.com forward slash podcasts. See you next time. Thanks ever so much. Bye. Bye.